Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. WTOC AM, W236CR, Indianapolis. Keeping you informed with what's happening in and around Indy. It's Community Connection. Brought to you by Child Advocates. Your voice, their future. On Praise AM 1310, 95.1 FM. And good afternoon and welcome to Community Connection. I'm Tina Cosby. Today is Wednesday, February the 28th. 317-972-3008. 317-972-3008 is our number if you want to participate in the show. That's our number. Uh, on our show today, we are now just one day, literally hours away. It's not even a full day because we're already at 3 o'clock and we start earlier than 3 o'clock tomorrow. But anyway, we are uh, just hours away from our annual St. Jude Radiothon. Uh, tomorrow, the entire show, our entire Community Connection show is going to be dedicated uh, to helping raise much-needed funding for St. Jude and its amazing mission to end childhood cancers. Um, the St. Jude Radiothon will be here on Community Connection all show long tomorrow. It'll be on our airwaves all day tomorrow, but our entire show tomorrow uh, is going to be uh, dedicated to our uh, St. Jude Radiothon. And again, their mission uh, to end childhood cancers. We're going to talk about that a little later. Also a little later, for those of you who closely follow U.S. politics, and I know there are a lot of you out there who do, uh, just got word that one of the most polarizing, longest-serving, and dare I say toxic figures ever uh, in the United States Senate. I know, but that's the truth. Anyway, uh, Mitch McConnell uh, is uh, from Kentucky, has announced that he is stepping down from his long-held Republican leadership role. Uh, in the Senate. We'll take a closer look at that and take some calls and comments uh, on that if you like. And I'm sure there will be calls and comments uh, on McConnell. My my thought right now is, why don't you just leave, period. But uh, anyway, he's leaving leadership and that's a start. Anyway, uh, right now, um, officially, the general observance of Black History Month ends tomorrow, the uh, last day of February, Thursday, February 29th, which will mark the end of Black History Month, right? So last month, uh, we first started telling you about an amazing in-depth series. It's called Black History from K to Gray, uh, focusing on black history that was taking place. Uh, this series is taking place at the Mount Carmel Church, uh, led in part by the senior pastor at that church, Dr. Theron Williams. Uh, he is here with us today, uh, along with a special guest that he has brought with us uh, to talk as well. And we're, we're, we're going to remind everyone that uh, even though Black History Month ends tomorrow, the series does not end tomorrow. It continues until the end of next month. That's correct. Until the end of next month. So let's bring in Dr. Theron Williams and Dr. Nick Peterson. Both of you, welcome, 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 welcome back, Dr. Williams. Glad to have you back with us. And uh, Dr. Peterson, welcome as well. Thank you all for being here with us. How are you doing? Doing good, Tina. Thank you so much for having us. It's always a pleasure to be on your show and um we i really applaud appreciatively what you're doing in the community and your work through uh through radio broadcasting it's uh it's needed in our community and it's welcome and you are a blessing 
thank you so much for having us. So, well, you're you're far too kind, but I appreciate the, the I appreciate that very much, Dr. Williams. And uh, you know, the, Dr. Peterson, thank you for being here with us. This series, we were so excited, and we we remain excited about it. That's why I can't get get you all on enough, because it's an opportunity. We had a caller on the other day who was so passionate, and I loved his passion. I wish I could have bottled it. Uh, because he said, why can't we get the masses, I mean, this, this, this opportunity for all of this knowledge free of charge right here in the city of Indianapolis from brilliant scholars uh, is right there for the taking, and we need to get more people involved with it. And so uh, it, it's exciting to me, and I can't get it out there enough as well, because it is. It's an amazing opportunity, and it doesn't have to just be during Black History Month. But what a great place to start if it is Black History Month. I mean, it seems like it's, it has been sandwiched, if you will, in between Black History Month, because there was part of it. It's started in January, continued throughout this month, and then is going to continue again uh, through the end of next month. So um, I can tell you from at least a few callers that have called our show, they have been totally, totally impressed with what's been going on out there with Black History from K to Gray. So what's uh, what's your impression so far? Well, it's it's been, it's been fabulous. You know, we started off with uh, laying the theological and the biblical groundwork mm-hmm. uh, for black presence in the mm-hmm. Bible and how it continues throughout African history and then moving into African-American history. And um, Dr. Nick Peterson, who's on the phone with us now, he came on after me and he did a phenomenal job moving mm-hmm. us through um, the West Africans, uh, how, what, what the existence of our black people, uh, of our ancestors was like in West Africa, and then moving across the um, the um, the slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade, mm-hmm. and into slavery. And uh, Dr. Milton came, and he did some work of, with his BH three sixty five, and we are going to continue to use Dr. Peterson's work. We have a a Saturday school for boys that we are about to launch. We have already launched, and we are using his curriculum to keep that going. But uh, starting next Tuesday, Dr. Dr. Peterson will take us through the end of March. He is a professor at the Christian Theological Seminary here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and he's a young man, mm. uh, Ph.D., bright, just bubbling with energy mm-hmm. and that young enthusiasm, and our church just ate him up. <laughs> and so they demanded that Dr. Peterson uh, comes back, and he will be with us on next Tuesday, and he's going to finish out the rest of the month. Well, Dr. Peterson, let, let's hear from you. What <laughs> what say you? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank thank you so much yeah. for uh, for having me on, and uh, thank you. Uh, I keep telling you know Dr. Williams that he just laid the found the, the foundation and the groundwork uh-huh. uh, for a congregation to move in in this direction. Um, I'm a transplant here to Indianapolis. I moved here to take a position at, at Christian Theological last summer uh, with my family. We moved here from Atlanta, um, 
And so we were in in Atlanta. We were, you know, steeped in a community. I'm ordained in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, which carries a very ah, long legacy. Yeah. Uh, for having a deep interest and commitment to mm-hmm. uh, those things, all things pertaining to uh, Black life yeah. um, and Black flourishing. So that's yeah. been a part of a part of our own legacy. Coming from a place like Atlanta, you can take mm-hmm. for granted mm-hmm. hearing, living, seeing, and experiencing, you know, um, black history and um, uh, and black success on the ground. So mm-hmm. moving back north, I was born and raised in St. Louis. Uh, mm-hmm. So the Midwest is not a foreign place, but coming back north, it was really just yeah. a special treat to come across a community yeah. uh, it- that has made the kind of commitment that, uh, that, that Dr. Williams has made at, yeah. at Mount Cornwall. It's interesting that you say that because it, it really does make a, a difference and, and how you can kind of take it for granted. My, my grandfather, my mother's father, uh, was an AME pastor, and, you know, they traveled around a lot, and she was born and raised uh, AME. But when she moved here to Indiana, uh, there were, you know, the town that we lived in, there was no AME church. She said, well, that's too bad because that's what I'm going to be, <laughs> you know, whatever. But, but you know, the um, the... I, I'm, I'm just saying that that a lot of times people don't people take things for granted yeah. uh, in in terms of where they are. And she she made that so very clear. I think the only AME church that she could find was a circuit church that was out in the country uh, that, you know, the pastor would come around when the pastor would come around. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you'd get it when you would get when you could yeah. get it. Yeah. The, the 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 circuit. So she was uh, always hungry for more AME teachings and. Uh, just to just to be back home with the AME Church, uh, which she was missing terribly, uh, a lot, uh, growing, you know, living in that area. Oh, can can you turn your radio down just a little, uh, if you don't mind? But I I don't know you you yeah. what you what you were saying about how easy it is to take for granted when you have all of these things um, around you and you just don't. You know, you just don't realize how fortunate, I guess, you are in, in so many ways. Yeah, it's easy to take for granted. And then there's also the piece that there's so many aspects of our history and really histories mm-hmm. um, that we just aren't able to hear. And um, I think, you know, for, for many of us, um, you know, we're only four to five generations mm-hmm. out of enslavement. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when you think about the very short period that was Reconstruction following emancipation, um, but that then gave rise to the, the the vapid backlash that's Jim Crow, right? That carries forward all the way from the 1890s up until the 1960s, that there's any new legislation that's put on the tables that's designed to protect and or provide um, you know, equal access uh, for for black folks. So that's three generations from 1890s all the way to the 1960s who lived mm-hmm. under the heft of Jim Crow um, and uh, racialized you know segregation and all of the aftermath out of that. What's coterminous with that is the fact that you also had in those same generations black servicemen and women who served the country in every single national and international conflict. Um, who would come home from overseas mm. and not receive the same benefits the, um, as their their white counterparts, uh, having served the country mm-hmm. in these most you know uh, profound uh, and at times deadly ways, right? Exactly. Um, so, in terms of what then the narratives that are then passed forward, there's some things that are just too painful for folks to talk about, yeah. uh, and so many yeah. of our own individual stories are wrapped in these what we understand now 
as trauma and post-traumatic mm-hmm. stress. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that grandparents, that, you know, big mama don't talk about that. Grandpapa don't talk about mm-hmm. that. Uh, but you know that there's some stories about all of our, you know, ancestors who were in the Black Belt mm-hmm. South who came to places like Indy, Chicago, and uh, Detroit, and New York, and Philadelphia, and D.C., trying to find reprieve from the lives that they were, you know, uh, confined in in the South, only to find that there was a new form of confinement to come to these cities. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking just the other day on the show about how sometimes we were shushed and hushed up when we would ask the difficult questions of some of our elders who did not want to talk about it. Leave that alone. That's in the past. Let's move on. You know, uh, and and surely, uh, like you say, trauma, wrapped in trauma, that's that's a great way to put it. So where... Where do you think we are now, Dr. Peterson? In what sense? <laughs> in every sense. No, um, in, um, in, in terms of embracing uh, and learning from uh, our ancestors and our embracing our history, for one, um, yeah. the richness. I, I think the richness of us kind of escapes us a lot uh, because I think if a lot of a lot of us knew and understood and appreciated how very rich our history were. We'd walk a little differently. You know, we hold our heads a little mm-hmm. higher, you know, poke our chests out a little more. I, I just think that the value uh, and the richness uh, of it all is yeah. slipping through our fingers far too quickly. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are, you know, as with anything, there are these uh there are ways to look at the big picture mm-hmm. um, and see reasons for a lot of hope, reasons for a lot mm-hmm. of joy and, you know, and gratitude. And then there are also ways to look at the big picture and, you know, see that we are in many respects in the same boat that we've been in. Um, and the hard part about reality is that multiple competing things are also true at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, uh, I think it's vital, you know, this is, again, as I've, I've talked with uh, Dr. Williams, you know, the, the ages of his book, the sort of what brought that book forward as a project for him was this concern that young millennials and young adults had around how is it that black folks could be so committed to a Christianity that has this horrible track record as it pertains to black people's lived experience. Um, and some of where, you know, where the work is vital is recognizing that the means, the modes, and the, the, the way that black people have engaged religious faith, Christian faith, other forms of faith and faith practice, um, have, have not been centered around their ability to disassociate from their lived experience. 317-972-3008, 317-972-3008. Our guests, Dr. Theron Williams and Dr. Nick Peterson, uh, two, uh, two very, very uh, learned uh, scholars uh, per- talking, teaching, sharing uh, black history. Uh, the series that has been at Mount Carmel since January 23rd, the Tuesday of uh, every month, called Black History from K to Gray. Uh, and it continues. Uh, Black History Month ends tomorrow, but this series, Black History from K to Gray, continues through the end of next month. 317-972-3008. So um, what, what kind of feedback have you been getting uh, since the series started that first Tuesday uh, in January, January 23rd, since that very first session? Have you noticed well, it, a similar or is it different or what do you think? 
it's been phenomenal, Tina. Um, I haven't been there on these uh, for the past three. I was there yesterday, Mm -hmm. but I've been on the road myself doing, you know, workshops and all of that other stuff. So I haven't been there. But the feedback that I've been getting from my church is overwhelming. You know, you know, and I was I was surprised, you know, I was I was prayerful that our people would show up and appreciate it and people from the broader Indianapolis community would show up and appreciate it. But I was a little bit reluctant. I was, you know, apprehensive about it. And then when I saw it and saw people coming out for it and I saw the hunger for it, I was encouraged, you know, and um so the response has been overwhelming. You know, I'm I'm pleased with the response. And the only thing is that we have to keep it going through the rest of this month. Yeah. You know, Black History Month is over, and mm-hmm. I don't know if we will fall back into that same mindset that we had before Black History mm-hmm. Month, that all I'm going to know about Black History, I'm going to learn it in, in February. In February. When February is over, <laughs> okay. I'm over. Mm-hmm. So... I'm 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 cautiously optimistic that this will carry over mm-hmm. into March. Well, we'll just have to have you back in March to remind people that uh, th- this is a carryover and that it it, it continues. So uh, uh, hopefully we can get uh, you and Dr. Peterson one or the other or both back uh, at least by mid March to remind everyone uh, because as you say, if there's a hunger for something like this. Uh, I would think, you know, hey, give me more. And so uh, so hopefully it's it's not going to, the interest will not wane right after uh, after tomorrow, midnight tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's our prayer, Tina. You know, we, <laughs> we I would hate to, uh, to marginalize our history mm-hmm. to February. Yeah. And then we just stop it. And we've just, and, and the church is good at that. We, we will marginalize our history. We will hold it in February and then say nothing else about it until next February. Mm. So we have become guilty of marginalizing our own history to one month. We have to carry this thing through, and it has to be a part of the regular church calendar. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, yeah, that, that's really good. That's yeah, really good. that's very good. Uh, also very good is our next caller uh, who just uh, checked in with us, uh, Dr. Tommy Brown. Dr. Brown, how are you today? Oh, as the folk would say back in the day, I'm fairly midland, fairly midland. <laughs> well, good to know. Good to know. Uh Dr. Brown, I well, you know what? I'm going to let you talk because I know that there's something that obviously has piqued your interest. So go ahead. No, you got Theron, see. Oh, I got there. Okay, we got we got and Dr. You, Williams, and you got and we got we, we got scholars here. Uh-huh, we got scholars, yes. And uh, uh, the the dynamic is that we've got to continue it. It doesn't stop in February. And what what Theron has initiated is a ministry, uh, a, a a strong spiritual ministry tied into the religious history mm-hmm. of the black experience here and it's got to be a continual uh, and it doesn't stop it's got to be part of a curriculum mm-hmm. that even our black university here needs to tie into this thing because his book and he said he did excellent books for for young people for and for our grade schools uh, you go over to his bookstore it blew my mind. He doesn't know. I sneak over there <laughs> and, and check things out because mm-hmm. uh, I really. Well, Dr. Brown, if you if 
if you go over there now, you're going to see Dr. Walter Milton's stuff okay. in that in that bookstore, that Black History 365, K through gray. Yeah. When I tell you that curriculum is mind-blowing, believe me when I tell you. I and see. it needs to be in every school district Thank in you. the country. Hey, Darren, you know, uh, you're right. And so I'm going to get it and start looking at after I get stuff straight with Andrew J. Brown Academy. It's going to be that. Yeah. Oh, are you? Are you, Dr. Brown? You going to get it in there? Oh, I'm going to get in there right now. We're looking for a new building. That's a whole nother issue mm-hmm. uh, uh, because we had to drop the NHA. This is another kind of dynamics. And, of course, Darren knows the politics of politics in Indiana. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, but the thing is, no, that needs to be. And see, it's not just that it enhances black consciousness, it informs the white and the what we would call Latino communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we're so inter- <laughs> intermixed, I won't go into that deeply, uh, but <laughs> the, that information is, 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 uh, is important, but it's not just important for Indiana. Uh, I would say Theron, this his book on the black church and white theology that rocks the mind of uh, of a lot of things. I we could we could do ten hours analyzing. I don't criticize nothing. I analyze and what his book was. It was not a critique, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It was an analysis of how the enterprise of religion got us caught in making white Christianity look good. Mm. And he used a word that I had never thought of. He talked about dominance. And and Theron knows how to, he articulates that very well. Uh, I always chuckle. He came out of Detroit. Mm-hmm. And uh, we used to play back and forth uh, back in my time uh, with uh, some colleagues of mine way back when. Uh, in regard to Michigan, Missouri, St. Louis, Detroit, Chicago, and uh, we would all dialogue, dialogue mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. But anyway, no, the the whole idea of what uh, he's, his church blended in and other people blended into that experience that he was offering over there. When he was doing that, I had to be doing some Zooms at that time. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but at the same time, no. That but, information and what he's doing, as my dad used to say, it's out of sight. Yeah. And, Dr. Brown, uh, the interesting thing with black church, white theology is that um, so many churches, if you will, of African-American, you know, predominantly African-American, aren't even aware. No, they're not. It, you know, and so there was, it also raised the awareness of the difference. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? And, and that uh, I'm sure that. You saw that as well, but you know some they they may be operating in ways that they don't even know they're operating in. Well, you you just heard it correctly, and I mm-hmm. think I think um, early Protestantism still had so much of Catholicism, and you know the Catholic background. You keep telling me that. <laughs> you know I have to throw that. But yeah, I, I do. You, I got Somewhat. a lot of education mm-hmm. uh, from Saint Rita's from Father Strange. Yes, yes, yes. And and Father Strange. Uh, we, uh, my dad and him, they would get together. And then after Father Strange had passed, Father DeBoe and the other black, black Catholics, you cannot imagine mm. 
what they understood when it came to black liberation. It, it was amazing. So I could never embrace white theology. Mm. <laughs> Dr. Williams, what, what led you to that? What led you to that line of research? Well, I, it, during the COVID shutdown mm-hmm. and all of that stuff was taking place in 2020, you know, you had um, the, the the protests of 2020 mm-hmm. and you, mm-hmm. what's my brother's name? Who George was, Floyd. Was, George Floyd in the wake of all of that and um, the police action killings, all of this started coming out at the same time. And we were at home and we couldn't go to church and we were doing our preaching on uh, on Zoom and that type of thing. We were viral in our preaching. We had gone online. And so I would go to my church and I would record my sermon on Thursday. And so my, Thursday, my my sermon was ready to launch on Sunday morning on Facebook Live and other streaming platforms. And I wouldn't watch me because I already knew what I had said. <laughs> I would watch other people, other pastors, and I would listen to them preach. And all of them, most of them, that is, knew that something prophetic needed to be said about what was going on in America. And most of them, Dr. Brown, Mm -hmm. could not put together a prophetic message. They didn't know how to do it. They know they needed to say something, but they didn't know how to put it in a theological context and then create a sermon out of that. Because I believe your sermon flows from your theology. And they couldn't do it. They would talk about George Floyd. They would talk about Sandra Bland. They would talk about others of us who had been killed by police officers. They had seen all of it. They had said something about all of it. But when they preached about it, it was contradictory to the text and the title of their sermon. So they just clumsily shoved it into their sermons, and it didn't quite fit. So that said to me, these guys, although they are passionate, they know something needed to be said about it, they could not construct a social justice sermon. And the reason they couldn't is because they were so steeped in white evangelicalism, and white evangelicalism provides no biblical hermeneutic, no scriptural exegesis, or no prophetic urgency for prophetic preaching. White evangelicalism provides no no hermeneutic for that. So you can't do it if you are trapped in white evangelicalism. So it dawned on me, these are great men, these are great preachers, but they are straightjacketed by a theology that constrains them from being prophetic. You know, because white evangelicalism has no prophetic urgency. And so that that sort of jump-started my thinking about how white evangelicalism controls the black church, controls what we think, controls the terms, controls how we understand gospel, the ministry of Jesus. All of that is controlled by white evangelicalism. And as I started looking at it from a different perspective, everything started looking different. You know, I'm looking at the same text, but something different is coming out of that text. 
because I'm trying to break free and break through this white evangelicalism. So that's what got me started down this path. Of course, I had already knew that something was wrong with the white evangelical tradition, but I had not analyzed it and investigated it mm. to the point where I could write a book about it. And, and, and that's really that's really important, uh, Dr. Williams, because part of, I think, what where a lot of our contemporary black churches and especially the kind of um, the the new age, non-denominational, large uh, mega church, young pastor who's hip and looks cool. Part of what uh, where folks have lost their way in black theology is just in thinking that black theology is aesthetics. How somebody sounds when they preach, how the music sounds when it's played. Do people right. shout? And when you mm. sort of reduce really these critical modes of black thinking, right, black engagement to just these kind of performative pieces, mm. you will think that just because the church, the multicultural church down the street can perform a gospel hymn, that they're working <laughs> from the same orientation as those who, who, who bring these arts and bring these, um, bring these perspectives forward through lived experience. And so it is incumbent to sort of recognize that there is a different theological hermeneutic that informs what we see as black religious aesthetics, but that can get lost when somebody doesn't know that history, when they don't know where these forms of, you know, of, of call and response have come from and why that was valuable, why, why these practices sort of emerged. And alongside that, they don't have the same ecclesial orientation, right? And that's one of those things that's mm. been fundamental historically about organized black religion is that it's for the sake of ecclesiology, right? For the sake of the church and for the sake of the community. And so when one loses that, what becomes compelling about a narrow evangelical theology is that the only thing that matters is your own personal one-on-one salvation and everybody else is just operative in your one individualized religious experience. Right, right. It's intensely personal. It has no social dimension. It's all about the self. It's all about me, me and my relationship with God. When the Bible is a collectivist document, it, uh, when you read the Bible, you're reading about a collectivist. But when you look at it from a white evangelical hermeneutic, that collectivism gone, and it becomes individualistic, which is counter to the biblical narrative. So, you know, it, it, has, it has messed, it, it has, to me, and to my way of thinking, it has messed everything up. The entire biblical story has been corrupted and co-opted by white evangelicalism. Hey, can I throw something in that there? <laughs> yes, sir, Doc. Yeah, you all are on target, and you're using, uh, as I listened, I was just thinking about the seminary words and all the stuff we had to go through, and I had come out. With this conclusion, the white theology, and you all are correct, was so instituted to the fact of being competitive, not cooperative, but being competitive, not being collective, but being an enterprise of competitiveness built on a lot of fear. Fear. In the black experience, we came together out of an awareness of love, and, and, and a need to cooperate, but the theology in regard to Christianity, uh, uh, we call it the good news, but the gospel, 
it is good news when you translate the word, but the good news is based on fear dynamics, not a strong love principle. And I remember Jimi Hendrix says, used to say, when the power of love, uh, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world would see peace. And rugged individualism, as you incorporate it into your, uh, your your statements, is one for us to compete and and not to cooperate, because we fear to love one another in cooperation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And fear is strong. In our fear is very strong. Dr. Gardner Teller and them, when I was young, they used to say, Brown, even Sam Proctor, when I was at Chester, uh, would, would come to my place before they catch the, uh, the train to get back up, would always say, Brown, you've got to always take them to the cross. Why? <laughs> you know, and you, you all know that kind of dynamic. You've got to take them to the cross. And you you got to get you haven't preached until you've been to the cross, mm. and, I, and they say okay you you figure that out. I say what the cross leaves us in a kind of uh, being joyous, but at the same time being fearful. But that was years ago, y'all. This was in '68 <laughs> and '67 uh, while I was up, you know, over at Crozier, and the the love principle, the love theology from where I'm looking at it now, is that of we fear to love each other, and we love to fear. Mm-hmm. And maybe Theron and, and your colleagues that may can take that into another dimension. Hmm. Is that possible? I, I, <laughs> Dr. Brown, uh, Dr. Williams, and, and Dr. Peterson, when you were first introduced, your earliest learnings of Christianity... Um, Sunday school, if if you will, if you were raised in, and I'm sure all it seems as if most of you were raised in the church, as as so many of us were. What's your first impression? Uh, what was it, love or was it fear? Well, um, what was your first? It was, yeah. It, well, it <clears throat> it was a little bit of both. Okay. You know, because the orientation, mine at least, was. Accept Christ. You have to accept Him as your mm-hmm. Savior, or you're going to a burning hell. Amen. <laughs> yes. I can say amen. Go yes. Ahead. Yes. And yes. That's, that's the white evangelical orientation. So I think that most people, um, most Christians in the West, we are white evangelical by default. Our, once mm. we get quote unquote saved, all of the language emerge from white evangelicalism, the the concept, even the images of Jesus, images of God, images of, of the heavenly host, everything is is emerged from a white evangelical imagination. So it was a sense of fear that mm-hmm. I'm going to go to hell if I don't accept mm-hmm. Jesus. And then even when I accept Jesus, if I commit certain acts, I'm on my way to hell. So mm-hmm. it was fear that was keeping me in line rather than the love of God mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kept me close to God. You know, mm-hmm. so, yeah, you're right in, the, in, in that in that regard, Dr. Brown, that a lot of times it is fear. And, yeah, Tina, part of my orientation, my upbringing in church 
was rooted in fear. I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want God to be mad at me. My, mine was too. I mean, me. was yours, AJ? Mine was too. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Sure. And, uh, Absolutely. Was, you know, I got a mix. saved, right? This is in many of our churches, and you got to get saved. But I remember when I got saved, that was my ticket, right, to heaven. And mm. I remember walking to school after that Sunday. And I was like, I don't know if I want to go to heaven yet because all my friends are <laughs> Conversely, I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. Oh, my. So really okay. okay. about my experience, mm-hmm. uh-huh. how much it circled around having an experience of God yourself. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. And so the yeah. way that one's internalized and, and uh, again, collective personal experience of the spirit, mm-hmm. baptism of the spirit, um, did some work within that context that that didn't necessarily mm-hmm. uh, lean as far into um, a kind of orientation, but the same, you know, the uh, a, a kind of what I call anti-black, you know, mm-hmm. orientation toward uh, toward Christian faith. Um, but those elements are still there because this is the water, right? This is the air mm-hmm. in which these things are formed. And so, what becomes again important about the kind of work. Uh, that uh, you know that, that Dr. Williams and others have have centered is one we actually have to become aware of. This is what we're actually practicing. Mm-hmm. You know, we wow. have to sort of tease apart the ways that we are learning religiously to hate our children and to see mm-hmm. our children as a problem, to see our children as you know antithetical to civilization, and not to see our children as the victims, right? The ongoing victims of a world mm-hmm. that's not designed for their flourishing. Um, mm-hmm. And if if we recognize that it's the world around them that's the problem, it's these forces that have been acting upon and acting within for centuries now mm-hmm. that's the problem, right? It's uh, I was just in Chicago last uh, with, with with Dr. Williams last week at the Proctor Conference, and one of our good brothers, Dr. Obari, you know, called us while we were in downtown Chicago, and he said, "You've heard on the news that it's the South Side that's the most dangerous part of the city." But he's like, no, the most dangerous part of the city is right where you are because this is where the power brokers are who determine <laughs> what parts of the cities are going to be is going to be without mm-hmm. to create the conditions that's going to cause mm-hmm. the kind of uh, problems that we associate with the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have that different orientation, then the way we look at our children, the way we look at our brothers and sisters and our elders and our grandparents is not that they are a problem, but just like the rest of us, they've been trying to contend with the world that every single day has tried to kill them. Mm. Yeah, he called you all, called up my city. I was born on 5842 State Street. Okay, 317-972-3008, 317-972-3008. How much of, of living in Chicago do you recall, Dr. Brown? I recall the fact my mama graduated from DuSable, my daddy graduated from DuSable. Uh, we left Chicago when I was four years old. I was at my daddy and mama's uh, wedding. I'm seeing them two together in a big cake. I remember that area, Bud Villican Parade, because every year from the age of four to 12, I would go back to Chicago to the Bud Billiken Parade. Mm-hmm. And my granddaddy, which we I call Poppy, and my grandmama, when I'm growing up, was called Mommy. My Poppy was a black photographer for the black newspaper there. Okay. And I used to ride the L with him and on State Street, get mm-hmm. on the trolley with him, yeah. and never could understand how he could read a newspaper and hold a pole and me holding a pole. Mm. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, Deborah, you have a question for Dr. Williams. Go ahead. How are you? I, I just had a comment for uh, Dr. Williams and uh, Dr. Milton, Dr. Uh, uh, Peterson. Mm-hmm. Okay, go uh, ahead. I, I'm learning so much there. I, I thought I knew, you know, I wasn't taught this uh, history when I was going to school, and I'm learning so, so, so very much um, from all three gentlemen and some of the audience. It's a lot of participation there. Um, you can ask them questions uh, when they're not busy or when they're available because they're very busy, busy people. And I just, I just love learning it. It's very addictive. It makes me, you know, I was up pretty late last night uh, reading uh, a little bit of, of the a book and some of the worksheet. There is a, a, a song book that uh, Dr. Milton uh, handed out um, that actually has some of the history in it through the song. Mm-hmm. And you can yeah. you can uh, learn from that as well. It's just so much, uh, you know, they play uh, some of the video of the songs, and it's, it's just amazing. And I just want to tell you, you gentlemen, thank you. And I really, really appreciate this. And I, too, think that it should be just people lined up to get in the building. Yeah. Um, the parking lot should be full. The building should be full mm-hmm. because this is rich, rich. This mm-hmm. is priceless history yeah. that we're being given. And people, this is free. And wherever I go, and I know people have come that I have invited, but wherever I go, I mention this to them. You know, oh, you know, uh, my church might do it. This and that. Here, this man and 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 his colleagues are teaching this information, and you know, that takes a lot to do. Yeah. As busy as they are, family oriented, have Absolutely. jobs, you know, whatever it is, you know, what we're doing now, I believe I'm a part of the history that's being taught there mm-hmm. at Mount Carmel. So I I can't wait to find out more. I'm just so eager to learn more, Mm -hmm. you know, and learn how how the history didn't start in the 1800s. We were the first people born, made. It came from us. People came from us. You know, that's that's. That's major right there, yeah. you know, and how we are should treat one another. You know, you you it's like relearning something but the proper way. And mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And, and Dr. Brown, I really appreciate Harambe, and I think that that's a major history as well. Everybody, you, Miss Tina, y'all, it's this is major right here, and it's a shame that it's not being taught. And the fear of it, because my great-grandmother's mom was slaves, and my great-grandmother was a slave. She was 105 when she passed away. And the the mentality that we were, you just didn't talk about it. You know, I bring my mom when I come, and my mother is kind of, you know, she's my great-grandmother's grandchild. So whatever my great-grandmother went through, my, my mom went through. It was just passed down. Mm-hmm. It's something, you know, 
when I got there and I learned uh, the first week I got there, I just severed anything that was taught to me from them. And what I mean by that is what you don't do and what you don't say. I have the right. We have the right to learn and know who we are mm-hmm. and where we come from and be proud about it. Thanks yeah. for taking my call. Thank you, Deborah. 317-972-3008. 317-972-3008. Yes, go ahead, Dr. Williams. That's one thing uh, that, that Deborah brought up, how close we are. To slavery. Mm-hmm. She talks about her grandmother was a slave who died at 105. I don't know how long ago that was, but I have a grandmother who also died at 105. She died maybe 20 years ago, something like that. But mm. she was the daughter of an enslaved couple. Mm. And that's my grandmother. And she died 20 years ago during my lifetime. Mm. The point is, is that I can touch somebody in my family whose parents were slaves. Wow. That's wow. how close we are to slavery. Yeah. And, and you know what, Dr. Williams and, and, and Dr. Peterson and Dr. Brown, um, this teaching, th- this series, I think, is especially I mean, you, I can't underscore it enough because of the political landscape that is out there that is seeking to block, ban books that have, you know, that change, you know, rewrite black history, you know, basically erase black history. Yeah. You know, forget not teaching it, just take it out of there all altogether. Uh, critical race theory, which has been so mis, misinterpreted and, and mis, you know, so much misinformation about that uh, and used as a tool to keep from teaching uh, what is natural to, like like you were saying, Dr. Ray, it's everybody's history. All kinds of, you know, just, just being distorted. Uh, when there are just, when there are political gains to be made from not teaching black history or from demonizing our history, then these, this is, is, I mean, it couldn't be more important, especially right now, especially right now in the climate that we're in. Yeah, we all, we all agree with your, with your analysis there, and I, as, as people talk about their great grandparents and slavery, mm-hmm. I look at my mother when I'm young, and she takes me to Alabama to meet Mama Mia, mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. mother, mm-hmm. which was she. Her daddy was an Irish ship captain. Mm. My mother's daddy was an Irish ship captain. When you looked at my mother, you thought she was looking at a white woman. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and and he was a ship captain. Yeah. And Mama Mia was his winch. I would ask my my mother. She says well, I don't know a lot about it because I was taken out of mm-hmm. Alabama at three and brought to Chicago with Mama Mia's brother. Mm-hmm. But then when I touched base with Mama Mia, I couldn't get no information nor mother's other sister. We don't want to talk about that. Yeah. And uh, and it, it was mm-hmm. like no, we don't want to talk about that because mm-hmm. their complexion. You wouldn't have thought they were African Americans, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and there and, are there are those in just about every family. And see, mm-hmm. and see, my mother, all she knew was when she left, her brother, which was older from this Irish ship mm-hmm. captain, they lynched him because he was in the black community too much. Mm. Ugh. And I wouldn't talk about it. Yeah. And 
and I asked my mother about, well, what are your brothers? Well, they live in Ohio, but hey, it got no further than that. Mm-hmm. And so you know when you have a mama say, uh-uh, no, no. Don't ask. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh, I said, I'm going to leave this alone, and my yeah. dad left it alone too. But and but it, yeah, we have to understand all of that, and and to be able to to put it in its proper place, and to be able to go forward, positively go forward in hope with all of it, as yeah. opposed to like you were saying, reacting and having post traumatic stress and some other things. You just well, being able to accept what, it and sort it out. Yeah, go yeah, ahead, go ahead, Doctor Peters. Yeah, some of what I think uh, is at work, and we have to understand that it's a strategy as well. It's mm-hmm. part of the logic, and that's. Uh, um, I, I teach in worship and preaching here at the seminary, and uh, in worship, there's a uh, during communion, and this is coming out of the early church. Oh. Um, we we have these words of institution, mm-hmm. um, and, and and my my clergy uh, brethren here could could say those off the top of their head, right, on the night of Jesus' betrayal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And where that falls in the liturgy is an area of the liturgy called amnesis. And amnesis is the notion of you bring a history forward, similar to Sankofa, where you bring a history Ah, forward to make it living in the present moment. So when we have across our communion tables, do this in remembrance of me, it's not just a memory that's in the past, but it's a memory that becomes alive in the present as we actually do what we were told to do. Wow. There's a difference between amnesis and amnesia. And part of the strategy that has often been at work is one of amnesia. Amnesia. If we forget, if we leave something in the past, Mm -hmm. then we have somehow overcome it, um, that we've disempowered it. Mm -hmm. And that amnesia is a strategy that actually keeps us moving through, you know, the same conversations, the same circles over and over, because everybody just, everybody's ignorant. We just, nobody knows. You know, and oftentimes the case, particularly with black violence, is always at the hands of persons unknown. You know, Mm. I've yet to meet people over 80 who didn't march with King. Right. Mm. But King would have been my grandfather's age. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in in talking about the age of, you know, the the distance from slavery, Ronald Reagan was born before Harriet Tubman passed away. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. He was a, a child in school. Before she passed away. Hey, 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 he just said anybody over 80, and guess what? I'm 82. Go ahead, boy. Say it. <laughs> you know, so in, 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 in that respect, part of what, you know, part of where this work is so important mm-hmm. is that we do have to tell the story because the second piece is if we don't tell the story, other folks will. Yeah. And I guarantee mm-hmm. you. And they're trying to right now. Mm-hmm. So that other people will be heroes and we will become the victims. I mean, the villain, even in our own story. If if we even exist, if we even exist, yeah. because, you know, the, the part of it is to obliterate us uh, from the pages of history. And, and, you, and you know what, Tina, I used to preach a sermon um, in the book of Joshua when Joshua brought the Israelites over the over um, over the Jordan River and they <laughs> took the stones and they built this monument. And Joshua said, you know, he, these stones mean something. When your children ask, what do these stones mean? You need to be able to tell them their history Mm. because the children are going to ask. And if you don't have the story, they're going to ask the Canaanites, what do these stones mean? Mm -hmm. And the stones are going to mean something far different 
for the Canaanites than for the Israelites. So mm-hmm. you don't want your enemies telling your story. Absolutely. And if you don't tell the story to your children, your enemy will. Yeah. You know, so, and, and you're right, Dr. Peterson, this this active memory that we have is not something just a mere regurgitation of the past, but it is a lived experience in the now. Wow. You know, so, yeah, that and that's what we're trying to do with with this series we're trying to to tell our story and we want our story to come alive so we don't have to keep being secular in this keep doing the same thing over and over and over again we need to move forward with it Absolutely. dr theron you just you've just made a statement that you know my experience of me going east quite a bit into india you know what that statement is the past present no, the past now and the past future future is always your present now. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's a statement they make consistently. Mm-hmm. Your past future and your past, your your present past, your present future is your present now. Wow. Yeah. Estella, go ahead. You have a, a question. Go ahead. Yes. Well, I want to make a comment, if that's okay. That's okay. Go ahead. The dialogue is so dynamic, I am just rejoicing in everything that I hear, and I have uh, uh, Dr. Theron Williams' book, and I'm enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I want to add something else that kept us in bondage, and that's the curse of Ham. (laughs) Okay, Estella and, and Dr. Brown, Dr. Peterson, and Dr. Williams, we have to squeeze in a very, very quick commercial. Estella has asked her question. Uh, can everyone stay put for just a couple of minutes, and then when we come back, we can... No, no, you know, I want to make a comment about Oh, make it. a okay. comment about Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. You had a question. I thought you had a question. Can, yeah. well, can, can you hold it right there? Because we have to get yeah. this in. Okay, we'll be right back. WTOC AM, W236CR, Indianapolis. Keeping you informed with what's happening in and around Indy. It's Community Connection. Brought to you by Child Advocates. Your voice, their future. On Praise AM 1310, 95.1 FM. And we're back with Community Connection with one of the most outstanding panels we've had in quite some time. It's always outstanding uh, when we have this panel uh, especially a panel led by uh, Dr. Theron Williams. Um, Black History from K to Gray, presented by Mount Carmel Church, started last month in January, going on through this month, and again next month, every Tuesday. Deep, deep history. The re- all, all kinds of things are there. And, and as you know, we've, we've taken a deep dive into just what history is, the, the theological implications, which we're, we're letting the theologians handle, and uh, just just the historical nature and the importance of how, how knowing our black history is to each and every one of us uh, from in every walk of life, that, that, that importance. And so, um, as you can tell, um, we've, we've gotten to quite a bit. Uh, let's go back. Estella had a comment uh, before we went to break. So, Estella, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes, I'm here. Uh-huh. Okay, throughout your church-going years, I mm-hmm. should say, people have talked about the curse of Ham, curse of Ham. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Scripture does not support that. The curse of Ham refers to the curse upon Canaan. 
Ham's son that was imposed by the biblical patriarch Noah. The curse occurs in the book of Genesis, and, and it concerns Noah's drunkenness and the accompanying shameful act perpetrated by his son Ham, who is the father of Canaan. And you can read that in Genesis 9. The controversies raised by this story regarding the nature of Ham's transgression and the question of why Noah cursed Canaan when Ham had sinned have been debated for over 2,000 years. The story's original purpose, and this is where your white uh, theology comes in, may have been the to justify the subjection of the Canaanite people to the Israelites. But in later centuries, the narrative was in, interpreted by some Christians, mm-hmm. Muslims, and Jews as an explanation for black skin as well as slavery. Nevertheless, most Christians, Jews, and Muslims now disagree with that. Because in the biblical text, in the Bible itself, Ham himself is not cursed. And race or skin color is never, ever mentioned. Now, there are a lot of blacks in Scripture, as, as Dr. Williams knows, but we have to know what the buzzwords are, what the key words are. Candace was black. Sheba was black. The eunuch that was that was baptized was black. Simon of Cyrene was black. Cyrene is in Africa, and we could go on and on. There are a lot of blacks in Scripture. But I wanted to add that since we were talking about it from a theological standpoint. Well, from, from you, my Estella. perspective, if I might, Tina, yeah, from my ahead. perspective, all of them were black. The biblical, Israel, yeah. the biblical Israelite community, and from my perspective, that my study was a black community. Mm-hmm. And this whole piece, when we're talking about the curse of Ham, um, the names of Noah's sons were honorific titles. Ham mm. does mean black, but it's honorific. Shem means that famous or renowned. Japheth means that his territory may expand. Ham means hot or black. And these are honorific terms. And especially Ham. Ham <laughs> is so honorific, that name, that when Abram found out that he would be the father of the Israelite people, mm-hmm. the name Ham was suffixed to Abram which gave Abraham his name an entirely new meaning. These are honorific terms. Yes, go ahead. And that, along with the curse of Cain, which white evangelicals argue that it turned Cain black as if Cain was white at first, and that the curse of Ham is what turned Ham black. When you read the Bible, there is nowhere in Scripture with... uh, was skin turned black as a result of a curse. But there are several places in Scripture where skin turned white as a result of a curse. Miriam, when she started tripping with Moses, she got cursed by God. Her skin turned white. When you look at Jehazi, 
who lied and tried to steal money and go against Elisha, his punishment was that his skin, not only his skin turned white, but <laughs> all of his descendants' skin turned white as well. Uh-huh. So if you want to talk about skin color turning as a result of a curse, it never turned black as a result, but it always turned white according to the Scripture. So, I mean, you know, but you have these people who tried to justify mm-hmm. white supremacy and black inferiority and domination and have taken the Bible and used it. I mean, you know, you have the John Calvinist, the Calvinist tradition, and John Calvin talked mm-hmm. about the divinity of the Bible, literally putting it on par with God, yeah. and then they mm-hmm. take the Bible and if if the Bible is on par with God, then the interpreters must be God's oracles. And if there is one interpretation, white evangelicals say that that's our interpretation. So they become the official oracles of God, and they are taking the word of God, and they are the interpreters, and whatever they say goes. And if you say something counter to their narrative, then you are the one that's being a heretic. And these are the same people who use the Bible as a weapon to suppress people and keep folk at the bottom while they celebrate white supremacy. You know, so that whole question about Ham, the whole question Mm -hmm. about Cain, all of that has been misinterpreted so that it can support white domination. Michael, go ahead. And and well said. Very well said. Uh, Michael, Uh, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Tina, I just want to thank you for having this panel today. I was so angry last week when I called in because (laughs) we are dealing with the miseducation of the Negro. Mm-hmm. Is that and, a book? And, no. <laughs> I'm saying yes, I don't. And, and, and your, yeah, your, right, your right. audience is right. constantly calling. Mm-hmm. Why do things happen? Right, Why absolutely. are we continuing to? These, this panel, Mount, Mount Carmel mm-hmm. is giving us, giving us the solutions yes. and how to deal with the oncoming problems. And every African-American needs to be at that church. And thank you so much. I appreciate those brothers. And um, we are the best genes. Thank you. Michael, we appreciate you, and thank you for for calling back. Uh, Michael was the caller uh, that I was telling everyone about. Yeah, that was just so, so, so very passionate. Uh, So, uh, William, go ahead, uh, and then we're going to go ahead, William. Hey, how are you, sir? And your guest. I don't know how many people realize that in Genesis, uh, Ethiopia and Hezbollah, uh, one in the east and one in the west, mm-hmm. uh, black. And uh, I, Moses, uh, Doctor Williams, he covered part of that. Moses had married a black woman, and when he came into the camp, he was he was black. This he was dissed by uh, Marion and Aaron, his brother's sister. And they were dissing so hard, God heard them. And he put a, he put a hurt on Marion where he, uh, he infected her with, uh, with the leprosy. And what I wanted to know, why don't, do, why don't we just get into the Bible and read it? And I'm not going to rehash the things that have been rehashed. Dr. Williams, 
you are one heavy brother. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's all I got to say. Okay. Thank you, William. Appreciate it. Uh, Anonymous, go ahead. you have a question for the panel? Yes. Um, very important and nice um, program today. Um, but you, you know, here recently they said that uh, Donald Trump is their savior. Mm. And um, in the Bible, it tells us that no one has seen God's face, right? And uh, this is for the pastors. But they have seen him from the back. So so it tells you what the back of his hair looks like. <laughs> just wonder if the pastor won't comment on that. This is just almost, to me, make people want to really read this Bible and understand it, those mm-hmm. that don't know. There's a lot in there. Okay, I'll let our, thank you, I'll let our call, I'll let our panel, anybody on the panel want to take that one? I'm not aware of that passage that she just referenced. Mm-hmm. I haven't read that one. Yeah, I'm. But uh, I would throw in. Dr. Uh, Brown, are you aware of that one? Uh, no, I'm not aware, but I've noticed. It's a passage. Oh, okay. It's a passage with, uh, with Moses, and he can only see God's backside as God passes by. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, I think a, a, a couple of things that are sort of around um, that idea, but particularly with the kind of theology uh, that's so readily animated in many of our contexts. Um, one of the differences, and I think a keen piece that we have to have, uh, and this goes back to what Dr. Williams was saying earlier about fear, the yeah. function of blackness in mm-hmm. an evangelical theological framework is to see the fear. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is not to get rid of, it's actually not to annihilate, it's not to be genocidal toward the black, but it is to always use the black as a figure against which to place everything that is good, wholesome, valuable, mm-hmm. um, everything that is, you know, uh, um, deemed socially acceptable and worthy. And so what that means is that the black figure, the black ideology, right, or not even ideology, but the black image has to be able to be indexable, meaning that it needs to be able to be summoned to do this particular job at any particular point in time. Um, And we can see how that's operative in the political arena. Um, Here it was that you had a a couple in the White House who, you know, now that they're not there, a black couple in the White House, who've been open about the struggles of what it took for them, even in their marriage, being in this position work. Um, But they made it work together, right? (laughs) You know, educated, uh, God-fearing, and and all of those things. And you turn around, and now we have what we've seen in uh, the presidencies, both presidencies, really, that have followed, you know, um, President Obama, uh, is a total backlash to that standard, right? Um, And especially with, you know, uh, with, with President Trump and the ways in which President Trump can actually defy the very founding principles, stated principles at least of the country, but is able to do so by establishing these, playing off these tropes that are just well healed within our country's you know memory about who the enemies are and what the enemies look like. And somehow the enemies are always the black and brown folk. Hmm. Wow. Can I insert a question to, uh, yes. to my scholar Abs- brothers? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, you used a word that I haven't heard in ages, uh, Dr. Williams. I just call him Theron. He called me Tommy. So, I mean, don't <laughs> we? And, and we feel comfortable at that. But you used the word oracles. Is there any indication in you all's working to talk about the myths of the oracles? The mythology in the oracles. No, I haven't. I haven't looked at it that much. And when I when I used it, I was using it in the purest sense of the definition, you know. Um, and 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 that term does appear in the Bible as one who speaks on behalf of God or one through whom God speaks. I was using it in that sense. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Former counselor, city county counselor, William Oliver. William Duke Oliver. Counselor, how are you? I was just fine listening to all your guests here, Dr. Williams and so many others. You've, you, uh, counselor, you've attended the, you've attended some of the sessions, yeah, right? Yes, I have. And, okay. and uh, he's opened the door, opened my eyes. I had some thoughts along these lines for several years. And just back and forth, really keeping it to myself. Because uh, I didn't know who to ask, who to talk to about it, until I got a hold of Dr. William Book, and uh, then started tearing some uh, prayer to some of these forms out there. Uh, I got there two weeks ago, and I tend to come back. But can I ask this question here about uh, who was uh, uh, the Willie Lynch letter said we're going to create a new race of people, and I just want to throw that out there before I make my comment, and that was who was. Uh, before 1619, before there was what we call America, when I was in the western part of Africa, uh, the land over there, who was I, what was my religious belief about the hereafter before 1619, before the trade, uh, the slave trade? Who, what was my religious belief at that time in western Africa? Thank you so much for taking my call. And Dr. Williams, I'll be out there soon. Uh, his question. The question, to Wilbur, uh, was the, the question, question was, was the who who was he before 1619, and what was his religion uh, before 1619 who, as an African, who, as a black, as a black man? Pardon. Who whose religion, Tina? Because I couldn't hear him he, clearly. What he was asking was, as a black man, uh, I'm assuming in in West Africa before 1619, before the slave trade began, what was what was his religion, and who was he? This is one of the talks that I, uh, in one of the lectures that I did for the series, uh, one of the things that I uh, strove to emphasize was the range of diversity within particularly, even just looking geographically at West African communities in context. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And so one of the misconceptions about Africans, even before coming to the America, was that they didn't have religion. They just had superstitions Mm -hmm. um, that they didn't have an organized way with which to think about God, but they were just, you know, worshiping uh, animistically, meaning worshiping objects and and those kinds of things. And so one of the things that we explore, and this is something that I teach uh, when I taught at Morehouse uh, in the religion department there, is to help students understand that part of what we've inherited through this Western domination of Christianity particularly in the American context, is a notion of separation in church and state. 
Uh, and so one of the things that I have folks do is I ask the question, you know, if you got a pothole, do you call the president? I'm like, well, no, you don't call the president. You call, you know, public works or your councilman or something like that. And so what we have in an American context is we have a very robust imagination for diffuse power across our governmental structures. And what I want people to understand, particularly about traditional West African and African religions in general, is that that mindset is diffused across their religious life, right? That they're not monotheistic, how Christianity is monotheistic, which in some regards is both a blessing and a liability to Christian faith because they have Christian nationalists who have a, you know, as Dr. Thurman was saying, is that the only way to interpret, the only way to sort of carry this out is my way. And then it's not even about interpretation, it's just about how much power that you have. And so our ancestors came from a very vibrant and robust religious imagination that infused every aspect of their lives. And so, again, what you see in Christianity as it's taken up by Africans in the Americas in particular is the incorporation of a whole life, right? It's in the music that comes out of the Black uh, American religious experience. It's in um, the even the forms of dress, right, you know, Put on your Sunday best. Sunday best is not a, a term that is animated within Western, uh, uh, a Western religious imagination, but it is within an African religious imagination to show honor and uh, and deference to what one holds as supreme, right? Mm-hmm. So you just don't bring God anything. You bring God your best, and your mm-hmm. best is both in your clothing, it's in your orientation, it's in your comportment, mm-hmm. um, and it is in in these other forms of expression. So in that regard, you know, what a religious practice could have been for a, a Fulani or a Yoruba or an Igbo or an Asante or a Khan or Ewo or Jewa um, along a very, very, you know, large swath of land could have looked any number of particular ways. But what we do recognize is that there are orientations towards faith, that there are ways that people live out their faith that even as the landscape of faith changes, sort of still emerges uh, w- within that within that practice. But we have to, again, recognize, too, um, that much of how we've been taught to think about what comes out of Africa as automatically bad, as automatically demonic, as automatically mm-hmm. suspicious, there's nothing more demonic in the world than what we've been given in terms of the Christendom and um, manifest destiny and a whole, you know, uh, doctrine of discovery that has come out of Western Christian thought. Um, there's nothing more damning than that. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be better said, uh, Tina, than yeah. what he just said. Indeed, indeed. Uh, let's go to our uh, our last caller, uh, Jeff. Go ahead. How are you? Hey, Tina. Hey, how are your panel doing? Doing good. Doing good. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Brown and Dr. Thurman, can you explain the relationship with the Council of Nicaea, the relationship with uh, what we now call modern-day Christian and paganism, and also how did Jesus get the same birthday as Hercules, Horus, Dionysus, and uh, who else, Mithra? How did that come about? Right now, uh, I'm, I'm probably branded a heretic for saying that. Uh, were you able to? Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Uh, one, what, what, what you're getting at in terms of Jesus' birthday, um, and even some of the other dates that are that are the, 
that, that would be associated with it. You understand that these are liturgical decisions that were made. And the liturgical decisions, and by that I mean these are decisions that were made at church councils and so on and so forth to establish forms of continuity. The Western Church does not celebrate Christmas on the same day as the Eastern Church, right? The Eastern right Church or even the North African Coptic Churches that come out of Egypt and Ethiopia. Uh, and so the function of these days is to really, really harkens back to the realities of the communities from which these events emerge, which are agrarian communities. And so if you are in the Northern Hemisphere, the, the, the time at which one celebrates Christmas is in line with the darkest point of the year, right? So at the darkest time of the year, the light of God enters the world, right? So that, that's a liturgical orientation towards the celebration of the festivals. When we come into the Easter time, right? Now we're in, you know, what in uh, both Western and Eastern Christianity would hold as a season of Lent, which in the early church was the time of preparation for people to be baptized into the faith. So they didn't do what most of us do in our churches every day where you got to call, people can come on sun, any Sunday, be baptized or sign up for baptism. Everybody, if you came in in May, you had to wait till the whole next month and season to be prepared for baptism. Uh, and to sort of enter the community through that way. And the resurrection, the celebration of resurrection, falls in line with the, uh, it's not the, um, uh, not spring, I forget, it's not spring equinox, but it's another term where basically the days are now sort of moving into the season of life, right? Where mm. now is the time where, uh, where, where, where things are starting to bloom, life is becoming anew. That's going to have a common pattern across a range of agrarian traditions mm -hmm. that are in that region that we know as the Fertile Crescent, um, but also in, in other parts of the world. So if you look at any religious community that's grounded in earthen practice, right, meaning they recognize the seasons and the changing, we, we do know that across the archetypical text that we're dealing with people who were in touch with the seasons for going grain, were in touch with the times of the year which were for harvest, and, and those Pentecostal be an example of that as well within the biblical text, right? That's the 50th day celebration after the first uh, harvest, so that's like a second harvest kind of festival. Um, so that's in part where some of these days comes in is that it's following a kind of liturgical logic which is connected to a seasonal logic and those pieces. Now there are some who are like, okay, well this borrowed this from this and this borrowed this from that. Um, you know, some of that can be substantiated if, in fact, there's just an orientation toward following certain rhythms that are at work, right? So the Christ event, Jesus was likely not born on December 25th, period, point blank. Um, but the function of celebrating the birth of Christ at that time in the Northern Hemisphere is to sort of recognize that the light of God enters a point where darkness is prevailing. Why is it so important to so many people? I have had, I don't know how many people call, and it's like they've un unmasked some huge conspiracy that, well, he probably, he really wasn't born on the 25th. And and what you just said and what you just explained, Dr. Peterson, it explains the date, the time, and what happened. So why, why are folks so... I, I don't know, antagonistic about well, that sometimes. I think some of it is that, again, it goes back to what, where Dr. Uh, where Dr. Mm -hmm. Perry started us. You know, it, mm -hmm. it's just people don't know. Yeah. And when you are steeped in the theology, particularly even the way that we, that, that this sort of supremacist evangelical theology can orient us towards Scripture, is that it can leave us thinking that 
nobody's interpreting the text. The text is just telling us these particular things. Yeah. Well, if you look at the four Gospels, two of the Gospels don't give us birth narratives. They don't say nothing about Jesus being born. Mark don't tell us nothing about Jesus being born, and John doesn't tell us anything about Jesus being born. Correct. And what Matthew focuses on in the birth narrative is very different than what Luke focuses on. What this tells us is that the communities that they were writing to, even in the early church, had different orientations of emphasis. Mm-hmm. Um, right? And that, that that goes back again to what Dr. Williams was telling us, is that we are looking at a text that is intentional about having these diverse voices, that's intentional about having these in the same way that when we have a testimony service at our church or when we sing in our church, we sing songs that were written in 2000, we sing songs that were written in 1918, we sing songs that were written in the 18 and 1700s, which all emerge from different experiences, different lived communities and contexts. But we recognize that there is something about what God is able to do through these experiences. And so sometimes I think we just get so locked into, you know, the veracity of our faith is how well we can Mm -hmm. hold on to uh, a particular word as if the word is God in that in terms of the biblical text. When John says that in the beginning was the word, the word was God, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about (laughs) King James English (laughs) in that respect. Well, you know what? There is so much more of all of this to come. Uh, not only, you know, we, there there have been a few sessions. There was two in January, four in February, but there's four more to go uh, in the month of March. And very, you know, I, I guess I, we've had you for a while, and I, I appreciate all of you being here for as long as you are. What can we expect in the month of March? What, what do we have to look forward to next month? Well, um, more of the same. Oh, okay. Uh, we're going to no, no, progress forward. Uh, Dr. Peterson just sent me uh, an outline of some of the things that he's going to be talking about going forward from week to week. Mm-hmm. You want to share a piece of that, Doc? Yeah. So this uh, in our next session coming up on the 5th, we're going to be looking at uh, resistance and freedom movements. And the idea there is, you know, we, we need to know how it is that our ancestors contended with on a day-to-day basis these harsh realities because there's wisdom in the lived experiences. And this is, again, where, where these stories are, are told. If we think that resistance is only what we saw and what the pictures, you know, captured from the civil rights movement or what we've seen coming out of Ferguson and following the, you know, the deaths of our brothers and sisters at the hand of vigilantes and police, then we miss these sort of like uh, daily practices of resistance that people would would have, uh, which ranged from things like braiding your children's hair, um, you know, to uh, to learning how to you know use um, what what folks would consider weeds as means of food, right? Uh, so those are some of the things that we're going to be talking about on the fifth. On the twelfth, we'll be looking at the rise uh, and the development of black institutions, right? So this is black hospitals, black businesses, um, black churches, institutional churches, National Baptist, Church of God of Christ, so on and so forth, uh, but also our HBCUs and trying to understand what was what has been the role of those institutions and why that's still something that's really important today uh, in our present moment. Uh, on the 19th, we'll be looking at the civil rights movement and also what's taking place back on the mainland. So what often we don't remember is that at the end of the transatlantic slave trade also marked the beginning of African colonial experience. 
right? So this is the rush to, to, to uh, divide Africa as a continent amongst the European nations. And so coterminous with the American civil rights struggle is also the African liberation struggle uh, and the development of uh, sort of African-run nation states. So we're going to look at that. Uh, and then the final session is going to be sort of exploring black theology for this 21st century, you know, um, there were some who thought that black theology or the need for black theology would be dead when we got something like a black president. Um, but we know again from our lived experience uh, that that we're still in a world that is thoroughly anti-black. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we have to now cultivate, uh, as you know, Dr. Williams' work has been doing and, and others, uh, an orientation within our black churches that centers, that centers and celebrates uh, the restoration of black life and black dignity within our context. Um, if Jesus cannot save us in that respect, then we're not really being saved. If all he can save us for is to be good blackened, even white evangelicals, then, then we've missed what good news is for us. So wow. uh, that's kind of wow. what we're looking at in the last session. Wow. So much and, more and to come. Intro to that, mm-hmm. to my thinking, Tina, mm-hmm. uh, the last piece he's doing is black theology in the 21st century. And to my way of thinking, what has been missing in black theological propositions and constructions? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we've got we've got the analysis. I mean, you, you've got Nick Peterson. You 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 got John Kenny. You, you got those guys giving us the theological analysis. I think what is missing is the black biblical imagery needs to be somehow woven into our black theological perspectives and proposals. Because James Cone talked about black theology, its starting point is black suffering at the hands of white supremacy. That's the starting point. I think that, and of course I appreciate James Cone and all of the guys who came before us, but I think that if black theology is going to resonate with this 21st century crowd, that it has to somehow be paired with black presence, black biblical presence, so that the starting point of a new black theology should be that black presence in the Bible. That is, if the starting point for black theology is that Moses was a black man and Moses was standing up, I mean, a ontologically black man, I don't Mm -hmm. mean, you know, symbolically, but Mm -hmm. a brother who looked like us. His mama was against a government (laughs) who's got black people in bondage. If that's the starting point for black theology, if we can somehow weave that in, and I'm still working through that, Dr. Brown. I hear you. I'm still trying to work through that. But I think that that would be powerful, especially to the 21st century young brother and sister, because that's what they're looking for. Okay. Jane Cohn said one of the shortcomings um, of, um, of, of the theology of King was that it was not centered on the ontological blackness of people here in America. That Dr. King preached beneath a white Jesus on Mm. the back of his wall and his pulpit at Ebenezer Church. Mm -hmm. That's correct. And Mm. so Cohn was saying, I'm trying to pull 
Malcolm understanding of centering black people at the center of God's story with Martin Luther King's theology. And so that's how he got that black theology, black power thing, pulling Malcolm and Martin together. And I think we need to go beyond that to um, to, 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 to spend time talking about black people at the center of the God story because that's what young people are looking for today. That's yeah. why they're running yeah. from the church because they don't see themselves at the center of the God story. That's why they'll go out and start black Hebrew Israelites placing yep. themselves right. at the center. You ain't, you're going right. Back to the African tradition religion that places them at the center or going to the nation of Islam where Allah places black life at the center. We're not getting that in our churches. You're right. Yeah, yeah. As folk would say, I'm sorry, but you're right. <laughs> well, no, visual, he's absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more. Visual yeah. images are strong images. Visual images are enduring mm-hmm. uh, images. And yeah. and what you, you know, as you say, working that into uh, our consciousness is, is, is utmost, is, you know, is the utmost importance. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. See, Peterson mentioned something about mm-hmm. the music. And I remember, see, uh, Kona and I were in school together. And at the same time, Cone finally came out with, a, with dealing with the spirituals. The spirituals was a language of uh, and, and a kind of language and energy that was manifesting what was taking place in regard to our, our liberation. And that was the kind of cold way we would communicate and relate to one another. And our songs... Some, t- but going back to what the Theron was just Doctor, well, Theron was just saying was how to bring the black in the biblical point because everybody talked about Moses and I heard it, but it was fact his mama was black, he was black, and and all of that dynamics is there, and we got to teach it. Absolutely. Well, it's being taught. It's being taught uh, in no uncertain terms. Black History from K to Gray, presented by Mount Carmel Church. Uh, Their 2024 speaker series, the public is invited free of charge every Tuesday in March, uh, coming up March 5th, March 12th, March 19th, and March the 26th. They will be there. And what time, Dr. Williams? 6.30. 6.30 every Tuesday. Uh, I cannot thank all of you uh, enough. This has been so enlightening. And I tell you what, this is just a preview, I mean, of what you're, you're going to get. And, and as we say, it continues. Uh, the, 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 the series continues. The, the march toward history continues. The, the awareness, it all continues. And I, I really appreciate the fact that it's not stopping uh, tomorrow, uh, at the end of Black History Month. So um, any any closing thoughts or anything else you want to say before we go into next month? Next Tuesday, March 5th, is the next opportunity to take advantage of one of these lectures in this series. Uh, Dr. Williams, Dr. Peterson, or Dr. Brown, any of you want to say anything before we have to let you go? Well, Tina, I want to thank I just you want to commend for... Dr. Williams for the work that uh, he's been doing at Mount Carmel. And um, I have yet to be in a church outside of Mount Carmel where you have 250 plus people who are coming on a Tuesday, midday week, <laughs> midweek yes. work day, um, you know, to participate and to hear and then stay afterwards. Yeah, you know, we, we got to go old school church where you got to flick off the lights and all, <laughs> flick them on and off, you know, to get everybody out of the building. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I commend uh, his vision and his leadership mm-hmm. uh, in making this available to the community. So thank you. Thank you, Dr. Williams, for inviting me even to be a part of it. So I appreciate that. 
Thank you, Dr. Peterson. For making yourself available, man. I, I really do appreciate it. A young father, young scholar, ah. young working uh, professor. I know your time is busy, but to to make time for us, man, it's, it's, it's beyond appreciation. And I can only say I thank my younger brothers for doing this, moving forward. And, uh, hey, this is just the beginning. Yes, it is. And uh, I'm, yes, yes, just the beginning. <laughs> because I, I'll start a whole other conversation there. Just the beginning. Just the beginning. We're going to end it there. Again, thank you all so, so very much. And uh, we'll hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get you uh, back on again, uh, Dr. Williams, uh, you and any guests that you want to bring along. Uh, before this uh, series ends, because we, we, we want to continue to remind uh, our listeners that this is taking place, uh, this very, very important lesson, these lessons Thank in our history. Thank you for the platform, Tina. Yeah. We appreciate the platform. You, you've made that possible, and, and we're grateful to you for that. Oh, well, thank you so very much. All righty. Well, we're going to take a, a, a quick commercial break and be right back to wrap things up. Thank you all so much. We'll be right back. Let's get back to the conversation. It's Community Connection with Tina Cosby on Praise AM 1310, 95.1 FM, Indy's Inspiration Station. And we're back with Community Connection. AJ, such a robust conversation. I love, you know, uh, when you get that that crowd together, you sit back and you let them go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, I, just, I like to listen when, when the guys get together and yes. start to talk history and start to talk all the knowledge that I yeah. so desperately am seeking. I just like mm-hmm. to sit back and listen and enjoy yes. it all. And, you know, there's so much emotion uh, wrapped up in what people have been taught pertaining to the Bible, what mm-hmm. they believe, and then you know, what the scholars will tell you is actually in the Bible. I mean, it's just uh, it's just always enlightening uh, when you hear conversations go in that direction. And I am really heartened to hear, I, I just think it's wonderful to hear that these sessions, this black history uh, from K to Gray out there at Mount Carmel, for the entire community, for mm-hmm. anybody that wants to go, that there have been a couple of hundred uh, each night through the week to to come and listen and to take in this teaching. Beautiful. Yeah, and again, I, I really feel like it's especially important because of the attack on uh, African-American history in our mm-hmm. schools, mm-hmm. Uh, the wanting to ban books, you know, Toni Morrison, <laughs> I mean, wanting to... To, to, to claim something as critical race theory when it has nothing to do with it. I mean, it's just, uh, so it's it's even more important now. Yeah. Um, now more than ever. So, uh, you know, good for them. Thank you. Thank them. And I, I do mean that in all sincerity that uh, whatever, hey, that I feel very strongly about the need for this history, the need for this teaching. And uh, it's free. <laughs> we love something free. We love we something, love free, something free. free. Free and knowledge. Free knowledge. And so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to let everyone know as often as I can. So, um, and, and again, thank you uh, to Dr. Williams and Mount Carmel for um, facilitating uh, this very important community event that goes beyond black history. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we know, AJ, Black History Month ends tomorrow. But that doesn't mean black history uh ends tomorrow no we make black history every day we open Mm -hmm. our eyes yes oh oh, lord have mercy what'd you just say (laughs) uh yes we do yes we absolutely do so um yeah we got to keep that in mind like i said there was a, a, a campaign many years ago um that mcdonald's did i do believe called 365 uh black yeah, or something black history black 365 history, black history 365 mm-hmm. and uh no 365 so anyway something like that 
And every day uh, on the radio, it was a, it was a radio campaign. Every single day, your little known Black History fact from McDonald's. Uh, that uh, that and we learned and heard something. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's good to know. So uh, as I was saying um, at the top of the show, I don't know how closely you follow uh, Senate politics, U.S. Senate politics, but uh, th- this guy has has created. He's he's changed the course of the country. He's changed the way the Supreme Court operates now. He has done so many mm-hmm. disruptive. I would call them vile, hate-filled, uh, opportunistic. I, I don't even know what all you could, but but anyway, Mitch McConnell, the uh, uh, the senator from uh, Kentucky, uh, the uh, longstanding senator from Kentucky, has been in Senate leadership, and as a result of his leadership roles, he's just been able to just drive a, a record through so many of our norms and and things of that nature that uh, mm-hmm. he's done a lot of damage. <laughs> okay, a ton, to say the least. I'm very high level when it comes to my my Senate knowledge. Oh, okay, okay. But I do keep track of follow. the power players. Yeah, and he's certainly probably more influential in a lot of ways. In in certain periods of time, he was more powerful than the president. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, he was one yeah. of the major reasons why President Obama could not get the things done that he mm-hmm. wanted to yeah. get done. The things that Black people hold him so accountable for. Single handedly blocked, but. Uh, Obama's uh, final opportunity to put uh, a, a, a justice on the Supreme Court by blocking Merrick Garland uh, single-handedly put uh, Amy Coney Barrett into uh, the onto the court uh, within two weeks, I think, of the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Just basically rammed her through. Uh, because he he built the court for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. That's what he did. He stacked and built the court in his image, the mm-hmm. way he wanted it to be. Uh, so uh, he is leaving leadership. He's had a lot of health problems, and I don't know if there's any speculation that after he leaves Senate leadership that he'll just retire and resign from the Senate. Mm-hmm. That would be great. I don't know if he feels like he can do that right now, though, because their their margin is already razor thin. So uh, I would love it, but yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. I actually checked it out while we were on air and uh-huh. uh, via AP News. Uh, Senator McConnell said that he does intend to finish out his Senate term until mm-hmm. January 2027. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also saying that he's they're not saying that it's because of the health issues that he is stepping down. Mm-hmm. However, I don't believe that worth one red cent. You, he had a concussion last year in those two very weird moments where it looked like he was having a stroke in front of the camera, in front of a podium. And, and you, you, I don't know, you're 82 years old, you're 40, what, 43 years into the game, mm-hmm. it, it's about time to go sit down. Uh, yeah, especially with his uh, with his health issues. They, you know, look like he may have suffered seizures on a couple of occasions mm-hmm. uh, there. But um, I don't know. He's he's certainly one of the one of the most uh, toxic uh, forces to go through the Senate ever in history. You know, he's one of the longest serving, probably the longest serving in in the U.S. Senate, and certainly one of the most uh, uh, life-changing altering uh in terms of the stuff he would do mm. he was the one that started that attaching uh other what was that he would do he would attach to, to certain bills to the passage of certain bills he'd attach other things that he wanted to get certain bills passed mm-hmm. and he came up with all of that so uh, a lot of Very anyway um yeah i know he's just and it's it's sad to see because at the same time you he was one of the only republicans that actually up that actually stood up to trump it actually stood up against him when he said that yeah. uh, the he won the election fair and square, or Joe Biden won the election 
via fraud. You know, McConnell stood up and, and went against them. However, you're the you're the last of the old guard. Yeah. When you think about it, he's the last of the Reaganots. Yeah. And he's not standing against him too strongly not right too now. Not too strongly because right, he wants to support him. wants to support him yeah. and is kissing the ring like all the other sycophants. So, That's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. So I, yeah. Uh, Pierre, go ahead. How are you? Oh, oh, Pierre. Well, Pierre, you'll just have to call back because we're hearing. Oh, uh, hey, I'm here. I'm here. I'm you're here. here. Okay, you're there. You're there. Okay, go ahead. Go hey, ahead. Hey, uh, good afternoon, Tina and AJ. Um, good afternoon. Here, um, here's some free political games for um, all you folks running, uh, wanting to run for office. You know, the Indiana Election Commission met the other day uh, on Tuesday, and uh, everybody that got challenged pretty much. Uh, got kicked off of the ballot and here's the thing tina um one of the things that people need to know if you're going to run for office you need to vote in these primary elections because on the form it says i voted in the last two primary elections held by the party that i want to affiliate with or whatever Mm -hmm. that's another reason for voting in these elections in these primary elections if you're going to run and you're going to do it without the party uh bosses uh blessing you gotta vote in these primary elections if you don't do it you can put your name on the ballot or on that form you're going to get challenged and you're going to get kicked off and that's what happened to john russ so and some other candidates so don't go out here spending a million dollars and a whole lot of other stuff and you haven't voted in two previous indiana primary elections for the party that you want to affiliate with and that's some free that's some free advice Mm -hmm. start voting in these primary elections folks if you want to run for office okay all right thank you pierre appreciate it yeah um I need to familiarize myself a lot more with what the election commission's rules are, but um, I'm going to take Pierre's word for it now. Um, and uh, it sounds reasonable what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Sounds reasonable if you're going to run for office. Uh, there, there are a lot of stipulations, uh, so I'm sure that being one of them. But I wanted to get to, uh, and we'll, we'll, I'll look into it a little more. Um, and uh, maybe have a little bit more of an extended conversation about it. But right now, we're going to switch all efforts and all energy to our St. Jude Radiothon, which is going to take place all day tomorrow and um, uh, most of the day on Friday on on a couple of our properties. So, uh, you know, it's it's just a wonderful time of year. Uh, Is is this the most wonderful time of the year? It is a really... (laughs) nice time of the year because you feel like you can do something to to really really help out uh these children and the families of these children who are fighting um uh threatening you know life life changing cancers uh so um we we love it we love doing it every year um AJ this will be your first one so yeah. um you'll get to see and hear a, a lot of things we 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 invite the community in uh, we invite the community on, you know, come into the building mm-hmm. or, you know, call into the show. Uh, we hope that you will help us raise money uh, for St. Jude uh, because what St. Jude does, that model is like no other, I don't think, in the world. I, I don't know of too many. There may be some that come close. 
But these children are never charged one red cent for their cancer treatment. Their families are not charged one red cent for being with them during their cancer treatment for travel, meals, lodging, everything. Because at St. Jude, all they want is for the child and the family to focus on getting well. And if all of those outside distractions can be taken care of by good, generous people like us, uh, then they can do uh, their job that much better. And the the, the remaining, um, the, the amazing research that they've been able to do with these funds uh, in probably less than the last 50 years where uh, only 20% survival rate for childhood cancer, child, you know, basically two out of 10 would survive. Now it's over, uh, over eight, almost nine out of 10 kids based on mm. the work. That, that they do at St. Jude and all of the donations that come in 100% go toward research and the care of these children. So uh, I, I can't think of anything better. Uh, I, I just can't think of anything better. No, it's an amazing program. Mm-hmm. And like you said, this is going to be my first time being able to see it in action. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just from the, even from the meeting that we had yesterday where we got to speak with Stephanie, our St. Jude rep and, mm-hmm talk about some of the history of St. Jude's and some of the stories that come along with it. It was incredibly emotionally heavy and yeah. it's it's moving. It's yeah. very powerful and moving stuff and I, yeah. I think it's going to be incredible. I, I, I can't wait to see mm-hmm. how it, see how it, it all plays action. out. Yeah, yeah. It does. Uh, and I, you know, having been there and spent a couple of days uh, going through uh, everything, I, I, I say it every, every time. I, you think you know uh, St. Jude, because I've always been sensitive to it. I've always mm-hmm. wanted to, to help because I'm like, this is wonderful. Of course I'll help. And I'll say, but uh, until you see it in action, um, it's, uh, whoa, it's, it's, it's something. It, it, it is very emotional. Mm-hmm. And the fact that these, these children are so very well cared for uh, and uh, their families are so very well cared for, it just, it just, it just, it just warms your heart. Mm-hmm. It really does. So anyway, uh, so we'll hopefully we'll be able to do some good tomorrow. We want to. Uh, we've got a goal. <laughs> and I think we're going to. I have yet to see us set a goal for our St. Jude Radiothon, uh, AJ, and not make it. Well, let's yeah. let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Let's so smash that goal. Let's smash. This year will be absolutely, positively no different. But um Want to thank everyone for being with us today. And again, tomorrow, all day, our St. Jude Radiothon. So please be sure uh, to tune in with us for that very special communica- uh, community connection, for our very special community connection tomorrow, our St. Jude uh, Radiothon. We are always Praise AM 1310 and 95.1 FM, Indy's Inspiration. Our website, praiseindy.com. Willie Moore Jr. is on the radio. He is up next. We'll be back tomorrow with our Radiothon, the entire show. Be sure to tune in and join us for that tomorrow. Until then, I'm Tina Cosby, and this is Community Connection.